Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and my guest today is a musician and poet who is deeply rooted in the UK spoken word scene. Pete Bearder has documented the scene he has been part of for decades in his book Stage Invasion, published by Outspoken Press. It explores the history of spoken words, the culture, stagecraft and the people who are driving it forward. It has been described by Ian Macmillan as a manifesto, party invitation, learned tome, history of ideas and soundtrack for exciting and scary times. It was a fascinating read with much to discuss. I should apologise that as this interview was recorded on Skype, the sound quality isn't great in places, but you can hear all the words and I hope you find them worth listening to. Here's Pete talking about how he first became involved in spoken words. So for me, I started off as a musician, as a singer-songwriter, and I didn't really have a love of poetry, but I I grew a love of poetry through um, seeing live performances. And they were fun and interactive. And um, I went along to Hammer and Tongue Slams in Oxford, and then I started getting involved uh, myself in them. And it was a nice kind of way in because they were playful and they were competitive and they were kind of games, basically, games of literature, which um, which I quite enjoyed. And then from there, started getting further into uh, the canon and I ended up doing a master's uh, in, in creative writing years later. So that was my journey in, I think. Were there any uh, particularly memorable performances, your own or other people's from those early days? I remember seeing, I mean, Steve Larkin was a big influence on me. He's the guy who founded Hammer and Tongue Slams in Oxford. And I think his particular kind of brand of comic, satirical um, stand-up poetry, if you like, um, very musical, very interactive, uh, was particularly appealing to me. Uh, Also, as an activist, you know, it was the scene in Oxford was very closely linked to the activist scene. So there was lots of radical politics um, uh, and ideas circulating within uh, within those spaces of performance. Um, so it was kind of um, uh, yeah, and and the guest poets that he was having, he was bringing over uh, kind of slam cult celebrities, I would call them, from places like um, uh, from the US. People like Taylor Marley and, mm. and Buddy Wakefield were coming over, and I had every month I had these these touring poets coming coming to town. Um, and then started travelling myself around the country to see other poets. Yeah, and uh, you said you went on to uh, do a master. So was that a step towards writing the book? I didn't know it at the time, but it was. Yeah, it was a master's in creative writing and education in the MA Writer Teacher Program in London. And we were working as spoken word educators and we were also simultaneously learning about the theory of what we were doing. Yeah, so a lot of the research that came out of that did end up going in the book, yeah. And uh, so so what inspired you to um, write the book? Well, um, when when I fell in love with this art form, I was looking around on bookshelves and Amazon and trying to find books that talked about what I was seeing and the art form that I'd fallen in love with. And I couldn't really find anything, so eventually I just write it myself. So I had the research from my from my um, uh, from my masters that I did as a spoken word educator, 
and started to find out that there was there was some writing out there there's not a huge amount but it but it's growing and um but there was nothing really in circulation within the scene and there's still not very much in circulation within academia itself so the aim of the book is to change the conversation in spoken word uk spoken word and also to change the conversation within um uh, academia um to about performance poetics and about spoken word and to find a way to understand it on its own terms yeah, yeah, you say you talk quite a bit about the spoken word scene being um, separate from the traditional and academic scene. Uh, do you think those boundaries are changing? Um, they are. I mean, it's not really an emerging art form anymore. It's maturing and it's becoming um, more mainstream. And it's being also being, in one sense, you could say it's also being co-opted by the establishment, right? So you're having um, uh, poetry prizes and uh, and uh, and poetry organisations that traditionally wash their hands of spoken word actually awarding prizes to um, spoken word poets, putting them on the front of magazines and things like that. Um, poetry London often you see sort of people who have grown out of the performance slam scene uh, being celebrated in those spaces without those organizations or those publications have any having any real relationship with those spaces already supporting them or publicizing them in any in any way which for, for, for me kind of looks like a, an act of co-option it's kind of like picking the low-hanging fruits in some ways you could say yeah yeah, it's a very uh, comprehensive um, account of the scene and its history and to some extent its future. Um, did you know what you were letting yourself in for when you started it? Mm, no, I didn't realise how much it would take from me. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a magnus opus. It's like 375 pages or thereabouts. Uh, there are over 400 references and I wanted to make something that was, was pleasant to read, right? Cause, uh, uh, by, by way of professional survival, I was going to be selling it mostly to, to gig going audiences as a performing poet, right? So, um, it, it took a lot of editing to, to make it something that was pleasure, also pleasurable to read and also academically thorough. Um, it was, it was a huge journey and it's very discursive. It deals with lots of different areas. Uh, in that sense, it's not um, conventionally academic, right? It doesn't focus in on one very narrow uh, thing and try to do that because so little has been written about this, you know, that every chapter you write, you know that you're writing something that's never been written before, which is a great indulgence and also a great danger because um, you could potentially just carry on for ages. And I've probably spent about two, two and a half months just working on chapters that I ended up just abandoning because... <laughs> It's like, well, hang on, I've bitten off more than I can chew here. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, were there any areas you researched that you were particularly drawn to? Well, there, I did want to do like a people's history of the oral tradition in the British Isles. I thought by making it uh, a history of the British Isles, uh, maybe I was narrowing it down. I quickly realised that that was a stupid waste of, uh, that was far too much for one chapter uh, and far too much even for one book. <laughs> so I quickly, but it was interesting nonetheless um, uh, to go into that. The, the history chapter that's in the book is it just deals with the last two hundred years of democratic literary movement, and even that's uh, even that's a sprint, right, from the Romantics yeah. onward. 
Um, yeah, you've uh, certainly livened it up with um, accounts from your own experiences uh, as a performer. Um, was there any way perhaps that was a hindrance in terms of having preconceptions or uh, one viewpoint uh, of the scene? Yes, it was a hindrance in that I'm part of the scene and I know everybody, right? So it, it, it's hard to keep a critical distance from it. I mean, I'm part of the scene, but also I've been taking a step back in a few, a few the last few years, part of researching this book and also just growing older as a, as a performer. You know, you don't, you're not so embedded in the scene as, as you are when you start off in it. When you start off, you're kind of at open mics, you're doing, traveling around, doing slams, you're getting out and about, you're, you know, you're actively socially part of that scene. Then as you get a bit older, you tend to sort of siphon yourself away because you, it's not so new and exciting and you've got projects that you're working on and you're not going to be turning up for everything and seeing everybody's show because it's not so new and shiny anymore. Right. So uh, there was some critical distance there. However, I'm talking about my contemporaries. I'm writing about the scene, which is composed of my contemporaries. Um, so it's hard to uh, um, write a critique and this book isn't that um, it's not a book which is what's wrong with spoken word i think that's the next book that someone needs to write what's what's wrong with spoken word and how can we change it uh, and maybe i'm not the right person to write that because because at the moment i'm still part of the scene and it, it just doesn't seem like a very attractive book to write if i'm honest um, but the book that, that i felt needed to be writ written was okay here is this art form this is why it's complex. This is why it's beautiful. This is what we can do with this. And this is the characteristics uh, that, that make it. Okay. And then I think hopefully the book is a launch pad for further critical debate uh, around it. At the moment, uh, crazily, we're still having to assert spoken word performance poetics mm -hmm. as something that, that deserves serious study and, and more writ being written about it because um, strangely still very little is so that is the thrust of the book it's partly celebratory uh, and analytical um, but uh, yeah I think it could go could, could go deeper in, in, in really pulling it apart and maybe that maybe there's a response to this some sort of um, reaction against this book and if anybody's out there please please write it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, so has it uh, changed how you see the scene or your part in it has it changed the way that i see it um it, it, well the research took me down many rabbit holes that really deepened my understanding of the physiological processes of life life performing for one you know, what's happening, those things that we all know as performers that's happening in the room, all those micro psychological and physiological shifts that are happening from moment to moment to moment. There is a language in theatre studies, performance studies, uh, um, uh, also some medical disciplines to talk about the, the exchanges, subconscious exchanges that are happening. Kinesthetics uh, uh, is one of them, looking at the, the, the science of body language, how pheromones are moving around audiences, uh, electromagnetic frequencies, how all of this is part of live performance. So when you, so that was really fascinating to deepen my understanding about that, also about the history, and really seeing that this is something that has happened many, many, many times before. For all of the newness of spoken word and uh, 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 and the exciting sort of um, avant-garde 
maybe avant-garde is the wrong word, but for all of the newness of spoken word, you know, the history shows us that this is an archetypal human activity to to make poetry and verse accessible to ordinary people, to bring new people into into poetry and to make it playful and to make it performative. This is something that's been happening and happening and happening and ha- happening at least since the birth of uh, of um, modern times, if not um, the birth of literacy. You've had this conflict between page and stage, which is a tired debate in some respects uh, and, and is less relevant now to UK poetry than it once was. But the um, poetic antagonisms and poetic territories and how we create little ivory towers for ourselves and little kind of territories within literature is something that's been happening again and again and it's really interesting to to see how that's happened in the past and uh you've spoken to a lot of poets and people in the sea this part of the book um what were the uh, most interesting things you uh learnt from them yeah i mean there are some fascinating insights that people are carrying around that are, that are largely unharvested so it was it was brilliant to to see how people were were reflecting on on their on their craft in a way that we again we don't really find conventionally in in our in the discussion of poetry rachel rose reed is an interesting example she was um talking about rhythm because she would do as a storyteller she would do like two hours she does like two hour stage shows but she's got to manage the attentional resources of her of her audience for two hours. Imagine that. Okay, maybe you got a break in the middle, but that's a long show. So she is using all of these um, all of these performance devices to break it up. She's using rhythm, tempo, volume, um, silence, breathing. Uh, she's coming into the audience, walking up around them, and and and. He, Hearing her, and she's quoted in there. Hearing, hearing her reflect on her practice, you know, her saying, "Look, look, if I, if I, if I need this silence to really mean something, where this uh, uh, princess is sat at the end of the banquet table, and everybody looks at her, if that silence really means something, then I can't have loads of pauses in the ten minutes prior to that." So it's looking at the at the rhythm. Uh, of performance and the dynamics of, of loud and soft and fast and slow and, and 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 silence and noise that consciously or otherwise poets are crafting into their their work and that's part of the discipline is is these uh, these things that maybe many of the poets hadn't even discussed themselves you know one of the things i learned from interviewing poets is that many of the best poets one of the most seasoned uh, and some of the most masterful uh, poet performers don't even have a language themselves right so it's not necessary to be a master at something and have a, a critical discourse around it to be able to talk about it critically is is not um is not uh, necessarily something that you need to have to be to be good at it which is an interesting one uh, not all of the best vignettes came from the most successful poets mm. so that was interesting yeah so uh, what's the response been the response has been great. Um, uh, people who have read it have been touring it around the country since July. Uh, people who have read it have, have been um, uh, saying that they really like it and it's being reviewed uh, increasingly. Uh, we're also taking it to universities as well, which is a new bit of a new frontier. Get it into, take it into various different departments, anything from urban planning, sociology, anthropology, uh, uh, creative writing. 
whatever it might be, we're taking it to a whole different range of, of university departments and trying to change that conversation. Uh, I'm also putting together a tour now with the Arts Council to tour it around Spoken Word Nights in the UK uh, this year as well. So uh, that's exciting. So it was nice to see how the scene adapted what they're doing to, to host this. So I'm doing hour-long stage shows and uh, taking that to Spoken Word Nights. And they're doing special one-offs like with, with, uh, with, with, with my performance lecture and also having uh, panel debates and things like that. So that's been exciting. So how are you bringing it to stage? So I've got a performance lecture called Homer to Hip Hop, A People's History of Spoken Word. Uh, sometimes I call it a people's history of the oral tradition, if, if it's less this kind of spoken wordy audience that, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, that we're taking it to. Um, I, I took it to the Edinburgh Fringe. It's, it's got a lot of research in there, but it, it's crucially it's interactive. So it involves the audience in the rituals of the oral tradition to demonstrate the discipline that we're looking at and how that's changed over time. So it's looking at how people, it's a people's history. So looking at people, how people have um, uh, galvanized power amongst themselves and how they've used that power to, to challenge um, the status quo um so yeah homer to hip-hop uh, that's going to be touring this year yeah well it's um certainly really uh, interesting read and i think that uh, if you have a, a, an interest in poetry and spoken word at whatever level um there's a lot there that will interest you and surprise you and make you think so um good luck with it thank you yeah so um, are you uh, working on anything new now? So a lot of my attention is going into, uh, it's a quiet time to be a poet, <laughs> December and January. So I've taken myself away, away from performing a little bit and I'm working on the tour and getting that uh, up to scratch. I'm also um, returned to my writing, which is nice because for two years I was writing this book um, and I couldn't beyond getting fragments of, of poem ideas in little booklets. I've got like a stack of booklets about 30 centimetres high uh, 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 of pocket booklets full of poem ideas, but they never went anywhere. So it's nice now to to uh, have some clear water between me and the writing of the book and actually get back to writing poems and, and writing songs again. Uh, so that's, um, that's kind of what I'm up to at the moment. You mentioned before being... Um involved in activism is that something you're still doing yeah occasionally occasionally do stuff for for uh, environmental activists protest um, groups uh, extinction rebellion reclaim the power that sort of thing as a performer as a musician and sometimes as a poet as well um yeah yeah um and uh, you sort of talk about the great community there is uh, among uh, different protesters have you had any uh, hair raising moments with it well i mean there have been times where i found myself performing in kettles where the police have, have, have cordoned groups of protests off and you know literally perform, running improvised cabarets whilst people are getting dragged off into vans um i think poetry because it's so low tech um, can can be really effective if you have uh, the gift of the gab uh, then that's quite nice it's quite a useful thing in protest because it's mobile you can mobilize the other voices with call and response uh, that are there it's participatory uh, you don't need any equipment so it's an ancient cultural equipment really the oral tradition for uh, for protest and for for social change generally i think yeah well uh 
as usual, um, I asked my guests for a writing prompt or exercise, and uh, you gave me a very interesting one. Uh, could you uh, tell us about it? So, yeah, so I went for a, I decided to do what's often called nonsense poetry. I think neologistic poetry is a nicer term, uh, if, if a slightly wanky one. Uh, neologist, uh, neologism is a, is a is a made up word, a new word. Okay, and um, what I like about neologistic poetry is that it really makes us play with the sound of language. You know, it gets into the territory of sort of sound poetry because you're moving the capacity for a poem to convey sense and meaning away from conventional words and into and into sounds right because if they're if they're words that the listener or the reader don't understand then they get it's going to create ambiguity it's going to create uh, it's going to evoke things that are below the normal register of linguistic cognition right so i i had a play around with something and ended up becoming taking me months because I, I mean, I did, it was quite a long poem. I did it for my creative writing masters, and um, and because it was quite long, there had to be uniformity within it. It was a made-up language. It was a made-up language uh, in a kind of parallel, plausible English. And I used English words, and I reconjugated them with um, Dutch and Danish and and Romantic French uh, languages uh, and and Norwegian to create an English that had the same sort of um, historical inputs, but with with a different outcome. Yeah. Right? Then I realized I had to create, so if I had a word for a and the and, and past tense, then it had to be consistent throughout the whole mm-hmm. thing. So it took a very long time. Um, uh, so I might have, it might have been better just to stick with something really short, like... Um, yeah, maybe just a poem or something. It was an entire piece of prose, but it was very fun. It was really, really lovely to kind of delve into that, uh, uh, that sort of, that play of language. Yeah. Um, well, could could we hear some of that? Yeah. I'll just, um, I, I mean, I'll I'll just read out the uh, the first couple of uh, paragraphs. Many yarn are gone. Unomini benold as Bellingham Yale developed a wet mouth for wordlings. Ab no just I a wordling nay. Wordling recipied in a poems, storicos, literaries, and philosophicals. Started did he, I nibble tenacitously at the corner of biblia sheds, noshing many centuries of scriptions with his fingers and face. Oftentimes the wordlings of a single poem might squirm in his brain cage for datums and darios. Bellingham's slow ruminations beginned to bear its blistra. His head swallowed and his eyes buggled. Ap him cadded no stopple, nay him becanid. His pregnant headedness worsed still. Their sticky residuals o' his brain mastications cloggled his think. Frequently he was benold a grogoladipuntal in an amidimoa word dance. A overcomen lubrical his grey stuff him would by ingesting still plus wordlings that dissolved in his brain acid, chemotically inducifying novel thinks, ideas, depictals and emotes that gruid still father his mind. So that's the first um, couple of, of, of uh, paragraphs from the from their the, the tale of Bellingham Yale, which is a tale of a man who would uh, 
eat books he would eat words he would eat pages and his brain started swelling um uh, and uh, with lots of funny uh, consequences that's in my my collection of poetry numbered boxes which is out with burning eye books <laughs> yeah great uh, uh, you sent me that but it was uh, great to hear you read it and sort of hear the sound of the language and just be able to pick up odd phrases and uh, sort of infer what other words meant without sort of trying to understand each word as you read it on the page mm. yeah yeah it was it was certainly certainly a fun one to do so for anyone uh trying to write something like that how would you suggest going about it yeah i mean i think it's going to be one of those free write things isn't it really in, initially i mean you're still going to need to have an idea you, you you still have to try to convey something it's not that you're just making up new words new sounds for the sake of it mm. you want to give a sense of something Right. So that so have an idea, have a quorum of an idea and then pick the language that would um, that would uh, that you feel is going to best convey that in sound, I think. So for me, I had this story, I had this idea of this this man in this kind of fairy tale kind of uh, 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 realm, this slightly surreal kind of world. And because it was a surreal world i needed a surreal language i mean also it could just be a conventional piece that you're writing and maybe you just want to throw in some words and why why not neologism is is a legitimate poetic device and even if it's a serious word you know it might be something um colloquial from your own your own dialect or something that you know is local to you or it might just be a new word that you think best conveys it if we, if you know as poets if we can't make up our own words then what can we do um <laughs> so yeah it might just be the odd word here or there yeah i think it can be something which is uh difficult to get started with and uh the approach i ended up taking is um i rewrote one of my existing poems using made-up language and that kind of helps you've got something there you can then play around with and i did things like i put it through google translate in several different languages Ooh. so i uh had different words and syntax and things that i could just take inspiration from right um, interesting. oh it'd be very interesting to hear how you got on yeah well i'll read the original poem and then i'll uh read the translation um so the poem is called flat hen great a flat hen peeled herself off the tarmac staggered across the road and called at the nearest house to borrow a bicycle pump. The valve wouldn't fit her misshapen beak, but the kindly neighbour jammed it down her throat and pumped her back to her original shape. Mm -hmm. Thank you, she clucked, before taking off home as fast as she could, slowly deflating all the way. And this is the translation. En flattenklucker von Taring Pielen Strambled Transdan Autostrassel, Escaludels Donarkli Cashaus, Vartu Begling and Vela Pompel. Valvo, past not fittles a bickle brocken, 
Mastel Kindle Nagel Jamley and Sagargle Pip S Pompels a Returgle Zunertal Formling. Grattings, Cluckelzer, for Elev Wuffung Zu Hommel a Fastelish um Zed Kudden Lingley Poofle Om De Waggle. <laughs> Brilliant, I love it. Uh, gratings. I mean, uh, was it? Uh, what was the verb that you? Uh, uh, gra- gratings. Uh, uh, yes. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's some. There's some lovely words in there. I mean, it's just, uh, and you can read this out in primary schools, and they love it. You know, the kids love it because they. Yeah. I mean, and, and and they'll get it as well. Also, if it's written down, you know, they, they'll have almost a kind of intuitive sense of kind of what's going on. Um, uh, you know, it, but it is it more ambiguous now that I'd really want to read that poem because probably I'd get something from the spelling of it that I wouldn't get from the hearing of it. And there's some lovely little, just little things that just run off your mouth really well. Uh, what does it, I, I can't remember the phrases, but there's some lovely little vignettes in there. Um, no, thank you. And, and it's that it's that interplay, isn't it, between sound and sense? You know, it's like um, you're 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 not speaking gobbledygook. You're not speaking another language. You want to be able to keep the reader. And this is always the tension for anyone writing poetry: is how can it? How can it? You know, how can I make it not too easy for the reader or the or the listener, and yet not too hard? Yes, yeah. yeah. How can we keep them? How can we keep them, but keep them coming in as well? Keep them delving further. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, fun to write and uh, fun to play around with language, and uh, certainly I like the point you make about uh, school children because there is a lot of that in uh, children's literature. Roald Dahl was uh, mm-hmm. great with uh, using made-up language. Hmm. Right. Yeah, well, um, thanks for talking. Is, is there anything you uh, wanted to add before we finish? Uh, if you're listening to this, um, buy Stage Invasion. You can get it on, on Amazon, but you can also get it from, I would encourage you to get it directly from Outspoken Press, who are a grassroots press that have come out of the scene. Uh, they pay taxes, Amazon don't. Stage Invasion Poetry and the Spoken Word Renaissance, um, uh, you'd be supporting uh, You'd be supporting. Uh, me and the production of more 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 books and the, and more performances i think is a good i think is a good book maybe have a friend who might want it if it's about language it's about performance and it's about change and if you care about any of those things i guarantee you'll enjoy enjoy the book so you can find that online that was pete bearder do check out his book and look out for his live dates around the country as well you can find links to that and other information about today's show on the website poetrynonstop.com. Have a go at writing a neologism poem and let us know how you got on. Until next time, thank you for listening and keep writing. <laughs>